Lord, you are in control of all aspects of our life, of everything that happens. We give you glory and we give you praise for that. And as we worship here this day, may your spirit move freely among us that we might be able to praise you in accordance with the glory due your name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I want to add my thanks to Providence for allowing us to use this facility today. Things happen uh, suddenly sometimes, and then uh, there are those around, thankfully, uh, who come to our aid. So when I was 13 years old, I was already plowing fields and feeding cattle and repairing barns and that sort of thing. And, and one afternoon, I was plowing the lower 40, and my uh, stepfather came out. Uh, he said there was a storm brewing. We didn't have uh, weather apps on our iPhones in those days. There was no iPhones. There was no Macintosh. There was no Apple. IBM was hardly a thing. But anyway, this thing rolled over, and we bolted. We were running, uh, running for the truck, and the lightning was striking around us and the, the storm was so fast and one of the things that I noticed as we were running towards the fence was that the fences were barbed wire and that there was like lightning coming out of the barbs of the uh, the thing and and my my stepfather just ran and he just grabbed a hold of it and went under it and I thought hey, okay wow Superman kind of stuff or but anyway, so I did the same thing, and that's really a weird thing if you ever have seen anything like that. Now, uh, we got in the truck, we left, we were, we were safe. It was only much later that I learned about St. Elmo's fire, which is what I was actually seeing. It wasn't lightning dancing down the barbed wire, it was St. Elmo's fire. While not very well known to thus, uh, us on land, it's, it's quite uh, well known to the captains of the skies and the captains of the, the seas. In fact, it's been known for thousands of years. I'll, I'll read you one little account here from Columbus's second voyage written by Columbus's son. It says, during the night of Saturday, October 1493, the thunder and rain began very uh, violent. St. Elmo appeared on the top gallant most mast with seven lighted tapers. That is to say, we saw those fires from which the sailors believed to proceed from the body of the saint. That is, St. Elmo's fire, the reason it was on the fence was it comes out, it, it appears in pointed uh, structures and the mast is pointed and the masts are pointed and so forth. So that's where it comes from during these storms, but it's a distinct uh, phenomena from lightning. Uh, and even though a lightning bolt has the same kind of blue purplish sort of a glow, uh, there's, there's so much there that it just signs this brilliant uh, white flash. Um, fortunately, uh, as you may have guessed for hikers, sailors and, and 13 year old boys fleeing fields, uh, during a storm, St. Elmo's fire does not burn, 
or present, in fact, any danger at all beyond the stormy weather. Now, what Dick, Ron, Ken, Pavan, and I experienced last Thursday night was not St. Elmo's fire. It was a bolt of lightning out of a menacing cloud that uh, struck the building and it, it, was like, uh, it was like a grenade exploded. Having thrown many grenades, I know exactly how that feels. And so it was, the ground shook, it was loud, and there was this tremendous toppling that we heard, although I don't think any of us knew what it was at that moment. But the conference room was adjacent to that wall. So we had a front row seat, so to speak. Now, Martin Uman, an expert in lightning phenomena at the University of Florida, wrote that any number of things in a lightning strike could collapse a brick wall, including the vibration that's caused by a near strike from that initial thunderclap. Uh, but he explained that the reason bricks blow out the way they do is that if there's, uh, it does, lightning does more damage, according to him, to insulators than to conductors. So because bricks are insulators, when it hit it and got through that, it vaporized all that steam and it, it, that high pressure shock wave then blew it all out, uh, dislodging the bricks, busting up the mortar and causing at least the facade of those bricks to collapse. Now I need to clarify a couple of things. Barbara wishes to uh, offer a formal apology saying that walking around the building seven times for 70 weeks was never intended to bring down any walls. Uh, so as a cautionary tale for all of us, we need to be very specific in our prayers. Second, uh, traumatic experiences will often produce a sense of the, like the band of uh, brothers. And uh, so I've been trying to come up with a name for us. It could have been traumatic as it was. It was just a little bit scary. It could have been much worse. But anyway, uh, we won't be known as, as the Sons of Thunder because <laughs> that name's already been taking, taken. But I'm considering other options such as uh, Thunderstruck or maybe the Thunder and Lightning Brothers or something. If you think on it, we'll come up with a name for our little group. Uh, third, and slightly a more serious note, which Ron mentioned this morning, and which is what generated this notion of, of uh, preaching this particular message, was the most common question that I've received, and probably the most common question you have, or the elders have in general, is, what were you talking about? Now, it's asked, obviously, with a little bit of humor each time, but I'll, I'll tell you what we were talking about. That we were talking about something to do with the ladies' committee. <laughs> now, now, oh, by the way, the committee always has our attention. <laughs> but you can rest assured that we will listen ever the more closely uh, in the future. So, so what is the serious note about that? 
So you see, the implication of that question asked in humor is actually quite serious. And that is, is there a meaning when lightning strikes? Does the strike of lightning have anything to do with the hand of God? Now we may ask, of course not. I mean, there are 40 million strikes, 40 million strikes a year just in the contiguous United States of America. One could easily argue that it means nothing. But then scripture gets in the way. Job 36, 32, don't know if you've ever read it before. It reads this, he covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Hmm. Even in lightning, apparently there is no variance with God. It seems to me that at least sometimes, no matter where you fall on the issue, lightning means something. Perhaps our moment is as yet indecipherable, but there are lightning strikes in the Bible that are crystal clear as to their meaning. Now given that we've been uh, looking at geography and archeology span on Wednesday evenings, I thought, Ah, let's look at a well-known story where there was a little bit of lightning involved. And uh, then we'll return to our regularly uh, scheduled. You know, I wondered why I was finished with my message early this week. <laughs> <laughs> you see, God knew. He said, you just need a little time to do this instead of that. But don't worry, we won't have a gap. It, it'll be there for you to to look at. But today what we're going to look at is a great showdown on Mount Carmel. It was a winner-take-all challenge. Yahweh versus Baal or Baal. Which one is real? Who will come through for the people? Civil war had split the kingdom. We know this. It was split in two and the northern kingdom knew nothing but corrupt, selfish kings. And at the top of this list was King Ahab. Now King Ahab, he had all kinds of problems just as a person, but his father had signed a deal with Phoenicia and he sealed that deal by having Ahab marry a woman, his daughter, that king, Phoenician king's daughter, whose name was Jezebel. Now Jezebel was a passionate worshiper of Baal. She wasn't just simply a uh, someone who was, yeah, 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 religion, yeah, okay. No, she was, she was right there. And you have to understand who he was. He was the Canaanite god of lightning and thunder and rain. Now that might help you understand why when Elijah prayed, he prayed what? That it would not rain. Why? Because he didn't want rain? No because he wanted to show that this God that the Israelites were flirting with over and over and over again was nobody, was nothing. He was striking at the false God right at its heart. 
And there had been no rain for some time at this point. And Ahab, during that time, had allowed Jezebel to persecute the prophets, had allowed him to persecute, or he had allowed her to persecute, such that she had killed many. Many were hiding in caves in fear for their lives. And so God guides Elijah to this showdown with King Ahab and 450 prophets of Baal. So today's passage, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're familiar with the story, but I do want to read a part of it. He chose a, a place and a time to take a stand. And he says this, So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not, listen to this, and the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I alone, I only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, oh, they finally grow a voice. It is well spoken. Oh, how shallow are we? God, if I don't see you do something, you're not real. If you don't intervene at this moment and in this way, you're not real. But in that time, God said, you know what? Elijah, let's do it. We're going we're gonna to clean house. And if you know the story, you know that's exactly what happened. How long will you waver between two opinions? That's what some translations say. But the literal translations, uh, how long do you, are you going to limp between two forks? What that means is, is there's a fork in the road. You have to take one. You can't be like Yogi Berra, who once said, if you don't know who he is, he's a humorist, among other things. But he once said, if you come into a fork in the road, take it. Elijah is saying this, choose a side. So he proposes this trial. You know, both Yahweh and, and Baal are supposed to be able to control lightning and thunder and rain. So Elijah says, okay, let's do it. We're going to set this up. And the one whose sacrifice gets burned, uh, then okay. And the people said, well spoken. <laughs> Elijah wanted the prophets of uh, Baal to go first. So they laid out the sacrifice, they got it all set, and then they started praying. And uh, Elijah must have been uh, quite the uh, humorist in some ways. And while I don't believe that sarcasm is appropriate at all at an interpersonal level, oh, I do think it's perfectly fine at a, at a political or... Uh, 
a high level like uh, Elijah was operating in. So he's like, well, yeah, maybe he's, maybe he's out of the room. Maybe he's doing this, maybe he's doing that. By the way, one of the things he says is maybe he's in the toilet, you know? And of course, it, it, they, they get wilder and louder and they start dancing and chanting and all kinds of stuff. And then they started cutting themselves even. They started bleeding and screaming and hours went by, still no answer. In verse 29, it says there was no response no one answered, no one paid attention. Jeremiah once uh, wrote about idols like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. Their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them because they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. In other words, the reason Baal didn't answer is because he wasn't there. He does not exist. Now, we don't have statues of Baal in our, in our living rooms, but we may have other idols. As you know, an idol is anything that substitutes for God, anything that we worship ahead of God. And it could be many things, even subtle things. It could be our status. It could be our education. It could be pride in the house that we live in, the clothes that we wear, the food that we eat, our spouse, the rank we retire with, or more accurately, the size of the account that we retire with. God does not want us to have anything or anyone above or before him. He knows that this will not satisfy. He is jealous, but he's not jealous because he has an uh, outsized ego. It's because he knows that nothing else can fit. Nothing else can meet the needs that we have. And Elijah is saying to the people, it's time to get off the fence, choose a side, choose. You need to speak, he says. When he said, do one or the other, he was, he was answered with silence. Now the prophets of Baal are answered with silence. But it doesn't stop there. Our Elijah calls on God to come through. He says, gather 12 stones. They did. And of course, the 12 stones is a reminder of the 12 tribes as they crossed into the promised land. And God uses that as an object lesson. And he could have used any number of lessons where they crossed the Red Sea, the quail, the manna, whatever. He could have used many things. He used that, but the point is the same. I am your God. I have always been. I always will be. It's the same as we read in, the, in Paul's writing. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So Elijah prepared the sacrifice, and then he did a really very strange thing. At number one, having lived in the Middle East for five years, and then another year in other ways, water is a big deal. Now you're in the middle of a drought, 
And what Elijah says is, I want you to have this trough filled around the sacrifice, filled with water, and I want the sacrifice itself covered over with water. So this water, this precious water is being drenched on this sacrifice during a drought. That enough, if the fire doesn't come, Elijah is a dead man. Period. Full stop. End of sentence. And I admire that kind of faith. I can't imagine it's hard enough to speak up to your boss, much less to the leader of the nation that you are in. And he stood up to him and he stood up to 450 of his false prophets. And I can't imagine that. I wonder how many of us can imagine doing that. But Elijah knew that Israel needed a wake-up call. A weak king and an evil queen. And his countrymen couldn't even figure out who was God. And all the prophets of the one true God were in hiding or dead. And Elijah took a stand. And I'm wondering if he was counting on God. And I'm not really wondering, that's more rhetorical, but I'm wondering if there's a situation in your life right now where you're counting on God to come through. It seems impossible, it seems remote. We all have challenges, but all too often, we put our trust in the ATM machine or we put our trust in the pills that we take or the doctors that we go to. We put our trust in our hospitals and our therapists. We put our trust in our leaders, in our pensions. And don't get me wrong at all. I am grateful for those things. I am thankful for those things. But what causes us to limp the way the Israelites limped was because they put those things, metaphorically speaking, in front of God. And God wants all of us. When Jesus was asked to name the greatest commandment, he responded without hesitation. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. There's no halfway response for us. It's total. In his showdown here, Elijah with Elijah, there was no pause. There was no chanting, no dancing, no screaming, no cutting, nothing but a sacrifice and water and boom. <laughs> Lightning struck and consumed not only the sacrifice, but the water as well. It just consumed everything. And the people seeing that said, Yahweh, he is God. And God then brings refreshing, life-giving rain, proving it is not Baal, but it's the Lord God. Now, you may not have experienced any lightning strikes from your prayers. Maybe you have. But if you think back, most of you will recognize that there are experiences, there are times when you knew that God was real. You knew that God answered that prayer. And you knew God was there. So lightning does not belong to Baal. It belongs to God. 
But sometimes God will use lightning as a display of his majesty and his power. And I want to turn to one uh, final note before we're done today because there's something else that lightning speaks to. We see that in several places, but especially Luke 17, 24, and 25. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, this generation must suffer things and be rejected. The two advents of Christ, as we're rapidly approaching the season of Advent, provides a stunning contrast the first ended in suffering and rejection and death. I mean, we're reminded of that of the very emblems that are in front of us at this moment. But the second it will not be that way. The second will be like a flash of lightning, glorious and brilliant, and everyone will recognize him for who he is. The second coming of Christ will not have an end. It will be eternal, his presence with us. In his second advent, Jesus will come like lightning. Now, this isn't a scientific analysis of lightning. The boom that hit the church over there was heard by a few people here, and it may have been heard by a few people around, but it certainly wasn't heard by people in Dallas. So we're not talking about a lightning strike like that, you know, where people on the other side of the world will, will see this. No, Jesus is talking about this strike will occur from each individual's point of view. The coming of Jesus will be like a lightning bolt as suddenly and as real as we experienced last week. It will intervene, it will govern everyone's life, and we will all see him and everyone will know. And anyone who's seen a, a bolt of lightning will not forget it. You, it makes an indelible impression, especially if it's close. The blinding flash, although that's momentary, right? It nevertheless, in that flash, subdues everything else. And this is a remarkable thing because it will light up the sky in broad daylight. And at night, it will light up everything so that you can see as if the sun were at full force. And so when Jesus returns, the flash of his brightness will make the sun useless as a source of light. We read in Revelation 21, 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lamb gives it light. The Lamb is its lamp. They sing a new song, a sound like the roar of rushing waters and like the peal of thunder, as when God speaks. You know, we'll praise him. We'll give him our full attention because of the moment of the cross. So at that moment, at that moment, he bore our sins. He paid our debt with his blood. And with inexpressible joy, we'll gaze upon the one who died and who rose again 
in the resurrection, and then we too will be raised. So whether we are to focus on the majesty and the power of God, or whether we're to focus on the Lord's return, I can't think of two more delightful choices. When I was a young boy, one more little lightning story, I lived off Old Spanish Trail in, in Houston. And I would regularly visit uh, Yellowstone Park. It had a pool, so I would swim there and I would play. One afternoon I was caught in a uh, exceptionally, and, and being from this area, I get it. I know this. This one was exceptional and it was awesome and it was terrifying and I was in the center of it. It was striking trees around me and I crawled up under a little concrete bench and, and I prayed to the God who at that time I did not believe was there for my safety. And it was when I came to believe in God while in the army, one would think that coming to a knowledge of God would bring one a sense of peace or a sense of calm. I can tell you what it brought me and the reason I'm telling that particular story is that's what it brought to me was a fear uh, that was awesome and terrifying and not at all calming. And I began to search for a bench that I could hide under, a place to find refuge. And it was only through Jesus Christ that I came to realize that the lightning strike that was intended for me struck him instead due to my sinful heart. And I live, and I mean this literally, I live because he died. We have life and life worth living because he died for you and he died for me. Father, Ever grateful we are to you for your love, for your compassion, for your mercy, for your, your grace. None of us would breathe another breath were it not for your loving kindness towards us. And we thank you and we praise you that you give us life in every circumstance, in every context. Through Christ our Lord, amen.